Our Bible reading today is taken from 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 18. The Word of God says, And when the child was grown, it fell in a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass, when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehaziah's servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins, and take my staff in thy hand, and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute thee, answer him not again. And lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. And Gehazi pressed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child. And there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awake. And when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and laid upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she was come in unto him, he said, Take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. Amen. The Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own infallible and inerrant word. Now my text this morning is taken from Second Kings chapter 4, verse 35. And I want us to think this morning of the boy who sneezed seven times. Now let me put this text in context. Here's the background to this wonderful story. A very prominent Shunanite woman, 
A woman of personal wealth and spiritual character had married an older man. And even though she was well-to-do and had influence among many that lived with her in Shunem in the Jordan Valley, she had no children. And this was indeed a very great stigma to her. I have no doubt it was a burden, especially for a woman back in those days. Remember, children must be seen as a real blessing from the Lord. An absence of children can often be looked upon as um, some sort of trial from the Lord. And after many years in this woman's life, in the process of time, God rewarded her with a son. And he did so for her faithful service and practical support of the prophet Elisha, the man of God. She often fed Elisha, encouraged him to eat bread in her house. She even made a special room for Elisha in her dwelling so that he could rest from his travels. The bed, the table, the stool, the candlestick, I have no doubt, the best that she had. And in the process of time, she conceived and gave birth to a son. You can see that there in the verse 17 of the chapter. And then look at verse 18. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his field to the reaper. So you've got to think of this child growing up into a lad. Maybe it's in early teens. Maybe he's nine or ten. We're not just exactly sure of the age. But one day he was out helping his father as they were reaping the harvest. He fell ill. He complained of a very sore head. The father instructed a servant, a lad, to carry him to his mother. That's what he did. The mother took the child in her lap. She nursed him on her knee till noon. And the boy died. And when he was died, the mother took a very strange step. She didn't inform the boy's father. She didn't start arranging for a funeral. Remember, this is the Middle East, and people are buried within 24 hours. No, she took her son and laid his corpse out in the bed of the man of God and closed the room of the door. After requesting her husband for an ass to ride on and one uh, servant uh, to accompany her, she set off an 18-mile trip for Mount Carmel. When Elisha saw her coming in the distance, he dispatched Gehazi, his servant, to meet her, and this question was asked. It says in verse 26, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. This woman, despite answering, it is well, by Gehazi. She came to the prophet Elisha. She laid hold of his feet. She, she poured out the details of her tragedy into his ears. Gehazi was sent on ahead. He was told to lay the prophet's staff on the dead child and report back. So I want you to think of Elisha and this Shunammite woman entering Shunem in the Jordan Valley. And the servant coming out to meet them and telling him, Lisha, I did what you instructed me, but, but nothing happened. The child is not awake. Elisha then entered the room. He put everybody out. He prayed. And after he prayed, he did something extraordinary. He stretched himself on the dead body of the lad. Mouth to mouth, the Bible says. Head to head, eyes to eyes, hands to eyes, belly to belly, legs to legs. And the Bible tells us the boy's body warmed. Elisha then arose. He prayed again. And then he repeated his action. And this time we read in verse 35, Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times 
And the child opened his eyes. Here was proof of life. The sneezing was heard, and I've no doubt the sneezing could be seen. Gehazi called for, he was told to present the lad raised from the dead to his joyful mother. And of course, the mother was overjoyed and very happy. Now, that's the background to the story of the boy who sneezed seven times. And I've asked myself, well, what can I learn from this text of Scripture? What lessons are here, Lord? I, 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 I have already spoken to the children about this boy, thinking of it as an illustration of the real Mr. Sneeze in the Bible. And you know what? I discovered seven things this morning. Seven things, and each thing could correspond to one of these sneezes of the boy. I want you to think, first of all, of a calamitous trial here. I want you to think of this well-to-do woman, a wealthy woman, a woman of great means. See, the Bible tells us in 2 Kings chapter 4 that this was a great woman. This woman was financially prosperous. As we would say in Northern Ireland, she wasn't short of a few pounds. A godly woman... A woman who was interested in the welfare of the man of God, seeing to his needs, what he would eat, where he would rest. You see, this woman had taken the ministry of Elisha on her heart to support his work. I want you to think of her supporting that work materially and practically and financially and spiritually. Here she is supporting the work of God. And yet... Despite her being a great woman of financial prosperity, despite being a godly woman who materially, practically, financially, and spiritually supported the work of God, that didn't insulate her from the trials of life. Calamity befell her. And you see, I want to say this morning, God's people are not immune from the trials of life. And the calamity befell her was in the form of one of the biggest tragedies that can hit any home, and that is the death of a precious child. This boy was special. She didn't expect to have a son, but I believe she was overjoyed to have him. I believe she loved him. I have no doubt she thanked God for this child in prayer. I have no doubt she desired to use her influence that this boy would grow up to love the Lord, that this boy would live for Christ, that this boy would be loyal to him. I believe the boy was a legitimate means of joy and happiness, and all children should be. This woman was not so wrapped up in her own son to neglect the Lord or, or neglect her spiritual duties and responsibilities. We don't read that this boy was her idol or we don't read that she loved this boy more than she loved the Lord. This boy didn't take the place of the Lord. You see, she had her priorities right. Matthew 6 and 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. And yet, despite her lifestyle, one morning, this boy in the harvest field fell hill, sore head, tarried home, put into her arms, and he died on her lap at noon. And I have no doubt that that mother found this tragedy hard to understand. Doesn't the Bible tell us in Proverbs 27, verse 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for no man knoweth what a day may bring forth. We don't understand 
or know what a day will bring forth. Life is full of uncertainty. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof, the Lord Jesus said. Here's a child that's treasured and loved. And now this child at 9, 10, 11, or 12, 13, this child has been taken. The, the little body of the boy is lifeless. You see, there's many things happen in life. Even in the life of a godly man or woman that baffles us. And we find it hard to understand. I want to say this morning, even you're a godly Christian man or woman, trials will come into your life. So I asked, is that a picture of you this morning? You're a true child of God and you love the Lord and you live for him and you're loyal to him and you support your minister and you uh, practically and financially and materially support the work of God. And, and, and you pray for the minister and you're looking out for his interests, as I've said, practically, material and financially. And you're facing a big trial right now. Maybe it's a personal illness. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's financial difficulties. Maybe it's marriage problems. Or maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Or even like this woman. It's the tragedy of the death of a precious child. And in that situation... You feel the bottom has fallen out of your world and it's hard to understand. And so often we ask, well, why do bad things happen to God's people? Let's remember our trials are ordained by God. Let's remember that God will test and prove the genuineness and the validity of our faith. I often think of the death of Robert Murray McShane. He was a fellow minister and a close friend of the Reverend Horatius Bonners. Did you know that he died in Dundee at the age of 30? His church in Dundee seated 1,100 people. It was packed full every Sunday. Many souls there were one for Christ. He was called Holy McShane, H-O-L-Y. He was noted for his holiness, his likeness to Christ. And he took sick and he died before his 30th birthday. I remember the day I heard the news of my dear friend's death. Reverend David Sinton, former minister for Guilford Congregation, who died in a tragic accident on the A1. That, for me, was hard to understand. I think also in our presbytery of the death of the Reverend Robert Omerod, a former minister of Clock Mills. And that, too, was hard to understand. See, how can such godly men be taken? Especially at a young age. But there's no answer. And we have no answer now. And the Lord Jesus comes and says, What I do now you know not, but you shall know hereafter. Let me stress this boy really died. I stress this to the children. We, we thought about the ebbing of the boy's life. This boy just didn't fall into a coma. He just didn't become unconscious. He truly died. It was hard. It wasn't easy. You think of his mother. You think of the mothers and fathers and the families that have lost children in Northern Ireland in the month of June. We've been praying much for little Bethany Smith. You think about her sister Hannah, Bally Castle, the loss of little Bethany and her mother Claire. We've been thinking about Noah Donoghue, age 14, from Belfast. Luke Lawson, there he died in his sleep and Armagh. We've been thinking about the death of Sam McCullough and Cross Gar. We've been thinking about the death of Matthew Arnold 12, 13 weeks ago now. And it's not easy. 
And it's hard to understand. And I want you to pray for these families and commend them to the Lord. And remember, he's the God of comfort and the Father of all mercies. What I find interesting here is that in this calamitous trial, this woman didn't become bitter towards God. She didn't question the Lord. She didn't blame him. She, she didn't become mad at God. She took the boy's corpse and, and she laid him out in the prophet's bed. I want to admit that when tragedy comes into our lives and deep trouble like this comes along, it's hard to understand. It's hard to remain silent. It's hard not to ask questions. But this woman was a great woman of faith. As I said, she didn't get bitter. She didn't ask why. She didn't question the wisdom and the goodness of God. Some people can be blessed in a trial and other people can become very bitter in a trial. Remember Job? He lost all seven sons and three daughters in one day. What did he say? The Lord gave. The Lord have taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Even though Job couldn't understand it, he was willing to trust in the trial himself to God. And in the trial, in the calamitous trials of our life, the Lord knows our need. He knows the area in which we're vulnerable. And he knows that we're being seriously tested. And these things have come to oftentimes bring out the richness and the reality of our faith. There's a calamitous trial here. But notice also the second thing. There's a confidential trust here. The boy died, and the woman does a very strange thing. She took the child and laid him in the prophet's bed. You'll read that there in chapter 4 and verse 21. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. She didn't start making a funeral arrangements. She didn't go and speak to her husband and say to him, Look, you better stop the harvest here. You, you better come home. The boy's dead. No, she laid the boy's body on the bed of the prophet of the man of God. She shut the door behind her and she went to see the man of God. You see, when the boy died, the only one person she thought of was the man of God. She had confidence in her heart that the man of God, Elisha, under God, God's prophet, could raise her dead child to life. See, this woman teaches us here something about true faith. What true faith is and how true faith works. I think of this woman's attitude in the midst of her calamitous trial. In the calamitous trial, she has a confidential trust in the Lord. I think of this woman's actions. They, they demonstrated her true faith in the Lord and in his word. I think of this woman's announcements here as we're going to see. See, this was a true woman of faith. Over in the book of James, in James chapter 2, we read in verse 14, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he is faith, and have not works, can faith save him? You see, faith without works is dead. This woman's attitude, this woman's actions, this woman's announcements proved and demonstrated the validity of her faith. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And this woman had true faith in the Lord. True faith is a gift from God the Holy Spirit in the new birth. But that faith will, will grow. Remember the prayer that was offered to the Lord Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. And faith will grow that's grounded upon 
the God of the word and the word of God. In her troubles, she turns to the man of God and the God of the man. Whenever trouble comes and calamity and tragedy strikes, who is the first person that we should turn to immediately? The answer is the God-man, our Lord Jesus Christ. We should go and tell him. Don't try to bear the burden alone. Remember the Bible says in Psalm 55, verse 2, Cast thy burden in the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. This woman went to the man of God, and, and she unburdened herself to him. Look at verse 27 and verse 28. And she came to the man of God to the hill, and she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away, and the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And that word vexed means bitter. And the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? You know, I think of that story in the Bible when John the Baptist was murdered by King Herod. Remember how he was kept in prison? Matthew chapter 14, verses 10 through to 12. And then he was brought out and beheaded at the behest of Herodias' daughter who danced probably semi-naked before King Herod. And there's John's imprisonment. There's John's beheading. And the disciples of the Lord Jesus, they saw the disciples of John coming. And the disciples of John had a heavy burden. They had the burden of the body of John the Baptist in their hands and they buried him. But they had the burden of John the Baptist's murder and death in their hearts. And, and to find relief, the Bible tells us in verse 12, and they went and told Jesus. Remember the scripture says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I want you to, in your burdens, and in your distress, and in your bitterness, to tell the Lord Jesus, because he is an interest in you. He, he waits for you. He wants you to come and tell him. This woman overcame all her fears, all her loneliness, all her problems, all her difficulties in life, all her bitterness, all her anguish. Why? Because she trusted herself to the good hand of her God. She committed all her cares to him. Here's this very comfortable woman, and all is going well. And she has this wee boy late in life to an older man. And you know, she's overjoyed and she loves the child. And then, bang, life changes. And this woman feels smashed and broken, feels vulnerable, afraid, life full of trouble. And what does she do? She has not only a calamitous trial in her life, but she has a, 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 a confidential trust. And that trust is in the Lord. Remember the Bible tells us there in the book of Psalms, Psalm 118, Here's the central message of the Bible, for these verses are the central message of the Bible. In Psalm 118 and verses 8 and 9, what do we read? We read these words. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. What did this woman do? She trusted in the Lord. Thirdly, we have a comforting testimony here. You see, regarding this woman's husband, she didn't actually tell him the child was dead. There was silence. She thought to herself, well, I'll not bother him. I'll, I'll not upset him. 
She asked for one of the young men. She asked for an ass, but she didn't mention her dead son. So I want you to think of her saying nothing. She was silent on the death of her son. What did she say to her husband? Verse 23, it says the words, and she said, it shall be well. Now, why did she say this? I believe the woman was full of a confident faith in the Lord. She was comforted because she felt no need to trouble her husband. She had faith in God. And this faith in God was not only comforting, but it was also a means of strengthening her very soul. This woman believed in and highly valued the word of God. This woman, of course, as I've said, supported the ministry of the man of God. And here's a testimony to her faith. Remember, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. She trusted in and fully relied on the word of God. Notice what she said. It shall be well. And if you look at the Hebrew in the margin, it says the word peace. And peace, of course, is a reference to safety, certainty, and enjoyment. This woman, I believe, had faith to believe that God would use Elisha to raise her a dead son to life. And maybe you're here this morning and um, you've got children of your own. They're uh, alive and well, but they're dead in trespasses and sins in a spiritual sense. Maybe they have no interest in the things of God. Maybe they're cold and backslidden and have gone away from the Lord. And you feel at times your faith is weak and you've prayed and prayed and nothing has happened. Well, well I want to encourage you. Let's have faith in him. Let's trust the Lord. Let's commit the well-being of our children physically and spiritually into the hand of the Lord. Help us to, to speak that word of faith. There's a comforting testimony here. But fourthly, there's a confessional truth here. If you look again at these words, it shall be well. Here's proof of her faith. She was really saying to the husband, don't worry. Um, remember this word well means peace, safety, certainty, and enjoyment. And really it was only one word because the words it shall be well in verse 23 are in italics. So there was only one word in the original. And what was that one word? Peace. And she was really saying to the husband, it'll be safe. Be sure. Be satisfied. Because that's the richness and fullness of this confessional truth here. Remember when she set off to meet Elisha, uh, the servant Gehazi was told to ask her three questions. Uh, and he was to ask, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, notice, it is well. And it is, is also in italics. So this is what she answered, peace. Is it safe and sure and satisfying for their husband, yourself and the child? And, and she answered, it is is well. Is it well with you this morning? Do you have peace with God? Remember the Bible says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know the peace of God that passes all understanding? Philippians 4, 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When this child died, this woman had a confession that was real. The child was at peace, peace with God. Uh, this child was safe in the arms of Jesus. This child was sure in the arms of Jesus. This child was satisfied in the arms of Jesus. And that was her confessional truth here. Notice, fifthly, there was a careful tenderness here. 
When she seen the prophet Elisha, she laid hold of his feet. Gehazi pulled her away. He said, let her alone. Notice what he also said. For her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. Here's the actions of a true man of God. He's full of compassion toward this woman in her time of need. He sees her anguish of heart. And there are people in our community who are hurting today. There's many in distress, many in despair, many in debt, many depressed. And you know what the Bible says? Those in debt and distress and despair and depression gathered unto David at the cave of Adullam. And we want Carrie Duff FPC to be like a cave of Adullam to you if you're hurting. Think of the Lord Jesus. Remember, he defended Mary. She was reproved by the disciples for the box of alabaster ointment for breaking it and pouring it over Christ. And what did he say? Let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she done this. And Elisha the prophet used exactly the same words. Let her alone. You see, there was a careful tenderness here. He was full of compassion. Just like the Lord Jesus. Remember when he saw the multitudes, he was full of compassion. He was moved in his innermost being. This woman asked Elisha two questions. Verse 28, did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? But he never answered one of them. He didn't argue. He didn't get into a distracting conversation with her. I believe that was wise. You see, there is indeed a careful tenderness here. But also there's a compassionate togetherness here. Gehazi was sent on ahead. He was told to take the staff and place it on the dead body of the child. But look at verse 30. And what does it say there? And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. She, she, she didn't leave him. But you know what? He didn't leave her. He, he followed her. She enjoyed the company of the man of God all the way back home to Shunan, where the dead child lay. Think of Jairus when Jairus was informed that his daughter was dead. We read that Jesus went with them. Isn't he always with us, folks, in the valley, in the mountaintop, day and night, even at the end of the journey? He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Hebrews 13, verse 5, it means, I will never, 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 never leave thee, nor never, 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 never forsake thee. There's a compassionate togetherness here. But notice, finally, there's a conquering triumph here. If you look at verse 35, it says, Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro, and went up and stretched himself upon him, and the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. I could preach a whole sermon on this, and maybe we will at some time in the future, but let me just give you the few thoughts that come to my mind. There's a passion here for the life of the child. Elisha the prophet is prepared to make sacrifice. Someone's lying in his bed, even if it is a corpse. So he's given up his bed of ease for this child to lie on. The prophet is now making a sacrifice. He's, he's out of his comfort zone. And he's doing so to see the soul of the child raised to life. He comes to where the child is. And he's making a sacrifice. Doesn't that 
Remind us of Jesus Christ. Isn't there a likeness to Christ here? You think of the sacrifice of Christ, but this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. Do you know the Lord Jesus is power over death? Think of the three stages of death that he was confronted with in the New Testament. Jairus' daughter who had just died. The widow of Nain's son who has been carried out of Nain to his burial. So the daughter had just died. The widow of Nain's in the coffin, been carried to the grave. And Lazarus already in the grave Four days, and every one of them had a physical resurrection from the dead by the power of Christ. There's a conquering triumph here because the man of God had a passion for the life of the child. Notice not only a passion for the life of the child, but notice a purpose for the life of the child. You see, this strange, extraordinary work of Elisha using his body and the warmth and heat of his body to heat up the corpse. I believe he was demonstrating the power of God at work through human means. In this wonderful miracle, Elisha was fully involved. The stretching of his hands upon the boy's hands, the the stretching of himself and the body of the corpse of the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, face to face, hands to hands, legs to legs, belly to belly. It was all to demonstrate the power of God through human means. It was the great William Booth that said, it takes two to grow a potato. Use your farmers knowing that it takes a man to plant. It takes a God to grow the plant. And there you have a interdependency of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. God doing his work and man doing his work. How many people does it take a potato to grow? It takes the labor of man and it takes the life of the maker. You see, in the work of the gospel, let's remember God uses human instruments. I think of the story of William Carey in India. He wanted to go there to that continent in the 1800s. Someone actually said to him in a meeting, when God desires to convert the heathen, he will do it without you and without me. I want to say this morning, that man was wrong. That man was depending on God's sovereignty. But he had forgot about human responsibility. In those days, India didn't have the gospel. And when William Carey went, he was involved in uh, 35 uh, different languages there. And, and, And he was using his expertise to translate the gospel into those languages. God used William Carey and hundreds of souls were saved. This woman went to Elisha. That was her responsibility. We must go to God in our trials and our troubles. We must tell him all. See, I believe the only answer for Northern Ireland and the United Kingdom and the United States of America and elsewhere throughout the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But we have a responsibility. Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every preacher. We can go to God. We can pray to our Lord in heaven. We can plead with him. But we also have to put feet to our prayers. We have to be prepared to do some work. We have to be prepared to do something for God. 
You see, Elisha was personally and actually involved in bringing this boy to life. He didn't remain on top of Mount Carmel. He didn't send his servant. He come himself. You see, God has a work for you and me to do, even in carried off FPC. Let's take that to heart. And he calls men and women to get personally involved. And there'll be opportunity for us to be personally involved in the work of evangelism, especially as this lockdown eases and we come back into our regular worship. What did Elisha do? He got alone with the boy. He stretched himself in the corpse. The boy's soul was reached by the man of God yielding himself to the will of God. Does the Bible not tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, it makes a very, very bold statement there. It'll come up on the screen. Think of the words, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 9. Remember what it says. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. We are workers together for God. Who built the ark? Noah did. It wasn't God. God gave him the design, the blueprint to construct it, but Noah had to build it. It was the same with Moses in the tabernacle. Who built the tabernacle? Well, Moses did physically. He was physically and actively involved in the construction of it. God gave him the blueprints, but God didn't do the building. And I could go on and on and give many illustrations. This is God's way of doing things. God is absolutely sovereign, but there is human instrumentality involved. We've got to go with the gospel. We've got to go to where men and women are. And we've got to speak the word of faith and allow the Holy Spirit to work. A passion for the life of the child, a purpose for the life of the child. There was prayer for the life of the child. Doesn't the Lord use means? Isn't there a waiting in God? In this story, not just once, a time of prayer, but twice. Isn't this tremendous? You see, there's something wonderful here. The power of prayer. And the Bible says, for this I'll be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. Let me finish this morning. I want you to think of practice in the life of the child. The stretching of the prophet's body and the prophet, uh, uh, prophet's body on the body of the child. There was face-to-face -face contact. As we go with the gospel, we need face-to-face -face contact with people. That's God's way. Let's not forget this. There is a link between God's responsibility or God's sovereignty and human responsibility. God uses means. God says, if the gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Is your body not like Elisha's body, a temple of the Holy Ghost? And if you have a redeemed body and you've been cleansed by the blood and filled with the Spirit, then I want to say this morning, God is depending on you and me. He's depending on us being in touch with him. He's depending on us wanting God to use our body. And as we use our body, let's have face-to-face -face contact with individuals, those that are dead in trespasses and sin. And here's the last point. Not only a passion for the life of the child and a purpose for the life of the child and a prayer for the life of the child and a practice in the life of the child, but a proof of the life of the child. 
How many times did he sneeze? Seven times. This was evidence of life. Here was God honoring faith. Here was God using human instruments. You see, God is us as his witnesses. He says, ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. That's our duty and responsibility. And you know, I believe that God will honor that faith. God will honor us presenting ourselves as human instruments. And God will use us for his glory. And we will see evidence of life. We'll see new birth. We'll see new families coming in. We'll see the work of God prospering and flourishing. Despite the setback of these past 15 weeks, God has overruled and brought many new listeners in. And we thank you for doing that. There's a conquering triumph here. Here's this boy who sneezed seven times. And what do we learn? We've learned seven things. A calamitous trial here. A confidential trust here. We've learned a comforting testimony here. A confessional truth here. We've learned a, a careful tenderness here. A compassionate togetherness. And a conquering triumph. And the child sneezed seven times. May the Lord take this word this morning and bless it to our understanding.